As we come now to the study of God's word, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, that you will enable us to hear and understand your word today as we come to look into its pages. We thank you for the freedom we have to be able to do just that, as we know others are not able to. We pray that you would empower those who are restricted and cannot gather together for worship. For the many places where Christians have to gather together in small groups and different location every week. We pray you'd strengthen their faith in their difficult circumstances. Please empower those who endeavour to preach and teach your word around the world today. We pray that they will be faithful to your word and that you'd use your word to build your church here on earth, to build your kingdom. Please open our eyes and our ears and our hearts today that you might be glorified through us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want us to focus on just, or mostly, on just two verses. These two verses are very well known uh, amongst all those who have been following the Lord Jesus for any amount of time really. I think these are probably the best uh, two verses in all of the Bible that speak about the nature and the purpose of God's word. You probably guessed which verses in our Bible reading that I'm talking about. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. These two verses um, are verses that every believer really should memorise, study, meditate on and apply to their everyday life. The context of these verses is very important. Uh, I want to start by looking first at the wider context and then the immediate context of what Paul is saying. That's why the Bible reading was a bit longer than normal because it helps us to fit it into the the pattern of the verses and what they're saying to us in the original text. And then after I sort of do the the context, then I want to do definition of words. I want to go through the words in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 and just unpack them, as it were, so that we understand what those words are saying to us, so that we get a proper understanding of what the Bible says to us. And then lastly, or thirdly, a good sermon is supposed to have three points, I want to then look at some other scriptures that talk about the word of God and we'll do that briefly at the end. So the wider context, the second letter of Paul to Timothy was written while he was bound in chains in a prison, probably a dungeon, in Rome. So when you read to Timothy, it's interesting to keep in your mind that Paul's not sitting there in a comfortable church, church pew or chair. He's actually chained probably most of the time to a Roman guard or Roman soldier which worked out beneficial to the gospel because he shared his faith with them and they couldn't get away, they couldn't leave him. So it was written about prior to AD 68, Um, so it's a long time ago. Paul was writing to Timothy in order to encourage him to persevere in his role as a pastor of the church at Ephesus. Paul gives many instructions to Timothy in this book but majors on the need for him to focus on preaching God's word, as we saw in chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, where he said, preach the word, persevere, don't give up. The immediate context, verses 1 to 5, the Apostle Paul, writing some 2,000 years ago, gives us a striking list of the characteristics of fallen mankind. Remember the list that Duncan read to us 2,000 years ago, and it's still up to date, isn't it? People are still like that. And uh, people still need to be enlightened by God's word. Uh, similar lists can be found. In fact, Paul read one last week from, I think it was Galatians, do you remember? And uh, there's another list in Romans. 
quite depressing sometimes to read those things about human nature and uh, the possibility for uh, sin in the world around us. Verses 6 to 9, the Apostle Paul outlines the tactics used by false teachers who reject the truth of God's word. Verses 10 to 13, Paul's teaching method is then contrasted with those false teachers, resulting, of course, in Paul getting persecuted on many, many occasions. Verse 14, Paul instructs Timothy to persevere in the teaching methods he has learned over many years and mostly from Paul and then in many different locations, many different cultures. Verse 15, Paul reminds Timothy how he has known the scriptures since childhood and that these same scriptures have made him wise and of course resulted in his salvation in his coming to faith in Christ. Verse 16, all scripture comes from God and is useful. In a few moments we'll look at some of the ways in which God's word is useful for us. Verse 17 says that the scriptures are especially useful for equipping the believer, that's you and I, for all kinds of good service and holy living. And then in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 4, Paul charges Timothy, as we've already mentioned, to preach God's word in every circumstance, in every situation, with careful expression, careful instruction, and that some people might reject that message that he brings. So the word all is our first word as we now look at definitions. So all scripture, it says. This word all can be general or it can be specific. In this case it is specific. It refers to all that we consider to be Christian scripture. That's our next word then, scripture. What does the word scripture mean? Well, it's the Holy Bible. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? 66 books. Many of the various religions of the world have their own sacred writings or texts which they refer to as scripture or sacred writings. Hinduism, Islam, Mormonism, Buddhism, just to name a few. When I was on my last trip to, to Myanmar, uh, we did a bit of, after we'd done some teaching around the place, we did a bit of a, a tourist trip. And uh, one of the places we went to was uh, in Mandalay. Uh, in Mandalay, they, um, they uh, have a, a temple. It's painted white. It's quite, quite big. It's famous. And uh, when we went to the next town, which was Bagan, uh, they had a national museum there, which we hadn't been to before. But um, we thought we were sick of looking at the temple, so we thought we'll go have a look at the museum. And one of the displays I found very interesting because it had a, well, you know, a statutory display thing there. And there was a priest, a Buddhist priest or monk, and he was holding a copy of the scriptures. And there was a guy on the ground basically squatting down with a, a chisel and a, a mallet and a big block of stone that looked a bit like marble, but I don't know if it was or not. And the, the Buddhist monk was dictating to him the Buddhist scriptures and he was carving it out in stone. Does that remind you of the Ten Commandments and Moses? Similar, isn't it? But it's very interesting because around about the guy who was on the ground doing the hard labour were blocks of stone which were half done, which had been cast aside because he'd made an error. So it's very interesting. I thought it was quite enlightening to see the trouble they went to to make sure that their scriptures were copied correctly. And of course our own scriptures went through an even stricter process uh, as they were recorded for us as well. So scriptures contain, the Buddhist scriptures even contain a great deal of wisdom but they are just really the words of a man whose name was Buddha. They call him the Buddha. Paul of course is referring to Christian scriptures to uh, what we call the word of God. 
and uh, claims that these words are actually from God himself, recorded by his servants, his prophets, the apostles. Of course, the Apostle Paul is primarily, in the context, referring to the Old Testament, as very few New Testament books were at this time written. They were often verbally, orally communicated, but over time they were, of course, written down for us and our Bible was composed from that. So Peter also, interestingly, refers to Paul's letters in 2 Peter, chapter 3, again verse 15 and 16. It's an interesting parallel there of Numbers. Uh, he says that Paul's writings are scripture and you can go into a whole study. They think that uh, Luke's gospel now was well and truly in circulation and accepted by the time Paul is writing to, to, to Timothy to them. Our next word is God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Who is God? He is the God of the Bible, the creator and the sustainer of all things. And then we have the omnis, don't we? Omnipresent omnipotent, omniscient, etc, etc. So often when we see the word God we don't realise the magnitude of that word. The one who gave us this scripture is the God of the Bible. So there's a vast difference between the words of uh, human leaders and the various religions of the world. These are, according to this passage, the very words of God himself. It is true, God used over 40 different men, different people, in compiling our original scriptures. But each one wrote what God wanted them to write. There are over 4,000 claims made in the Bible by its writers saying that they were speaking the words that God told them to speak, that they were recording what God said. We have expressions like, thus saith the Lord, to quote the King James version of that. So that's where our scriptures come from. Over 400, sorry, over 4,000 times they claim to be bringing us God's words. And that's what Paul is talking about. All scripture is God-breathed. The old King James, you said, is inspired by God. I don't know whether you've done a first aid course or not. Who's, who's done a first aid course? We've got a few first aiders around. I've done a how many times I did the course. I got tired of it and stopped going. But you're supposed to renew it every two, three years or something. And one of the things they teach you in a first aid course, or if you do medical training, a nurse or a doctor... They teach you about things like breathing in and breathing out. Inspired means you breathe in. Expired means you breathe out. If you expire for the last time, yeah. Did you realise you're all going to breathe your last breath unless Jesus comes before you do that? Yeah, I contemplated that the other week, thinking, I wonder if my kids will be around or my wife will be there, who will go first and second, and what it will be like to know you're... Breathing out for the last time. Yeah. Well, God's word is not breathed in, it's actually breathed out by him. In other words, spoken by him. That's simply what it means. So each one of us has to face that truth that this is God's word. When it says breathed out, it means God spoken, if you want to put it in in simple terms. So Paul is telling Timothy that the Christian scriptures are breathed out by God himself. It is God's word. So John MacArthur gives us a good quote. He says this. I seem to have lost my page numbers. Oh, there it is. We actually swap notes because I always do one page and they they printed them out back in front. But I think this is a quote. Six, seven. Yep, I'm right. I think I'm back on target. Carry on. Carry on. 
regardless. <laughs> this is what he says. Sometimes God told the Bible writers the exact words to say. Example, Jeremiah 1 verse 9. But more often he used their minds, vocabularies and experiences to produce his own perfect, infallible, inerrant word. It is important to note that inspiration applies only to the original autographs, the original copies of the scriptures. God inspired them to write what they, write, what they wrote. It is difficult to always translate correctly from one language to another, but the original languages, the original autographs are inspired by God. MacArthur goes on and says, So identified is God with his word that when scripture speaks, God speaks. It's important, isn't it? We need to make sure, of course, that we understand uh, what the Bible is saying to us. In today's society we hear people say things like there's no such thing as absolute truth, that all truth is relevant. It may be true for you, but it might not be true for me or for others. The Bible's claim is that it is absolute truth that it is the final authority for all it teaches and communicates when it is correctly understood. And it's important we understand the scriptures correctly. That takes study. The Life Application Study Bible says this. The writers wrote down what God wanted them to write. Scripture is completely trustworthy for our faith and life because God is in control of its writing. Its words are entirely authoritative. Read it and use its teaching to guide your conduct. We should read it and apply it to our life. It's a good quotation, isn't it? And next word is useful. Uh, we sometimes hear people in politics talk about using useful idiots, that, um, people who will protest for a, a small payment of a fee. Well, the Bible is useful, and even for us, even if we're idiots, which we sometimes are. Um, I often find myself calling myself an idiot, I don't know about you. But the Bible is useful in many different ways. It's, uh, because it's from God, it's beneficial. Useful means beneficial, uh, profitable, valuable. It is something that is useful. It can produce good results. It is highly efficient and it is sufficient. Two key words there. Efficient and sufficient. That's the word of God. In other words, all scripture has a purpose. It is all that we need for faith, life and conduct. Notice there the word purpose. God has a purpose for including some unusual books and passages in the Bible, even sometimes recording the incorrect thinking and belief of some people. We need to be careful to understand the different types of literature that appear in the Bible and what God's purpose is for placing it there. So it is God's authoritative word, but it has different purposes in this writing. The Life Application Bible says this, the Bible is our standard for testing everything else that claims to be true. It is our safeguard against false teaching and our source of guidance for how we should live. It is our only source of knowledge about how we can be saved. It's important, isn't it? The word of God is very important to us. Our next word is teaching. It is useful for teaching. The word teaching can be translated as doctrine, even theology. Theology is simply, simply put, it just means teaching about God. So don't be afraid of the word theology or doctrine. The Bible is not just teaching, it's more than that. It is divine instruction that enables and causes a person to do things. 
Its purpose is to educate, explain, to apply God's truth to our everyday lives. Teaching also involves caring, nurturing and training. It's very important, isn't it? Yes, the Bible is good for teaching. It is therefore of great value. William Barclay, the commentator, says, The study of scripture must never be selfish. He, that is the believer, must study the scriptures to make himself useful to God and useful to his fellow man. Are you useful to God? Are you an illustration of his grace, mercy and forgiveness? Our next word is rebuking. How long has it been since you were rebuked? You might remember the last time I preached, I said, how long has it been since you told someone they should repent? Well, it's just a similar word, isn't it? Rebuke means to reprove, reprimand, censure with authority. Rebuking involves giving of warnings, the condemnation of wrong behaviour or wrong belief. So just as we have a responsibility to rebuke, to rebuke error and wrong conduct, we also need to earn the right to do that by developing our friendships with people. You shouldn't be rebuking someone you hardly know. Rebuking a stranger can be a dangerous practice. We need to be careful, respectful, civil and diligent and choose the right time and the appropriate location in which to do rebuking. Some people have no idea (laughs) and I'm one of them. I sometimes say things that I shouldn't say in the wrong context at the wrong time. So just as good parents rebuke their children as part of their role as parents, God our Heavenly Father rebukes us, his children, as part of his role. God primarily rebukes us through his Holy Word as the Holy Spirit applies and convicts us through its pages. Just as we need to listen to our parents, we also need to be listening to God by reading and studying his Word. It's amazing the number of Christians that don't read their Bible. The only time they hear the scriptures is on Sundays. No wonder we don't have the Holy Spirit speaking to us because he speaks primarily through his word. So just as we uh, need to listen to our parents, we also need to be listening to God by reading and studying his word. If God is not rebuking you, maybe you're not reading his word. And that word is correcting Correcting is taking a step further from the spoken rebuke or reprimand by taking some kind of corrective action. Illustration, parents not only rebuke, they correct. Once again, parenting parenting is a good example of the role of not only rebuking but also correcting by putting right wrong actions and attitudes. Good parents say, we don't use that word in our family. Have you ever said that one? Or maybe these days to your grandchildren. My mum was a good mum. She often taught me and she often rebuked me and she also corrected me. Don't use that bad language around me or in our house. The leather strap certainly helped reinforce that correction. (coughs) We had uh, louver windows along one side of our, our dining room and there was a leather strap about as thick as my finger which hung on one of the handles, you know, you pull down the windows and it turned out that if we were being naughty, all my mum or dad had to do was look at the strap and silence reigned. Argument stopped and uh, it's amazing. So parents, uh, you know, that's part of our role and of course it's part of the role of the word of God as well. Good parents say, don't use those words around me. Uh, did your mother and father correct you? 
if done correctly in love, it is a real blessing. And sometimes we see families, don't we, where the children aren't corrected. They're just yelled at and abused and it doesn't make for happy living, happy family life. Correcting is to set something right, to amend, to substitute right for error. It is to give specific guidance in order to help a person improve. It is correcting someone who has a fault or is doing something wrong. Rebuking, if you like, is the negative side of teaching God's word. Correcting is the positive side. So correcting is to encourage is to encourage a person to change or to repent, uh, repent of some wrong action or even some wrong attitude, and to do what is right. God does this through His Word. Are you reading it to get corrected, so that you get the message to change your ways? These days there are many, even in the church, who seem to think that their job is to correct the Bible instead of it correcting them. We get it back to front. It's like a lot of people say today, I can't believe in a God like this. Well, who gave you the right to create your own God? That's idolatry, isn't it? William Barclay says this about correction. The real meaning of this is that all theories, all theologies, all ethical teaching are to be tested against the teaching of the Bible. If they contradict the teaching of the Bible, they are to be refused. Our next word is training. Training is ongoing correction. You keep doing it until you get it right. It's turning corrected behaviour into a habit or a lifestyle. Training speaks, of course, of discipline and may even involve some form of healthy punishment. See Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 12. This speaks about God disciplining those he loves. Training is given in order to bring a person sometimes even an animal, to a desired state or standard of efficiency. Some of you might remember the song, I think the Rolling Stones were Walking the Dog. Remember that song? I better not sing it. (laughs) You, like me, have no doubt noticed people walking their dog or should I say their dog walking them, you know, like this. (laughs) The other extreme of that, of course, is people who are walking their dog or even running with a dog. The dog wants to stop to smell everything. Dogs get their primary information through their nose. So it's also not caring to take a dog for a walk and not let it stop. But the the best ones are, of course, you see the people, they walk up to the intersection and the dog sits. The lead is not tight and then they say, go, the dog goes. Isn't that wonderful? Is God trying to train you? Have you been trained? Are you getting ahead of God? Are you trying to drag God along to do what you want or are you submissive and obedient? Many Christians think that God is there at their service, that he should do what they want when and where they want something done. We shouldn't have that attitude. So often we reverse the roles of master and slave. We forget who we are and who God is. Training means the building up of endurance or strength. It means providing instruction to produce proper behaviour. William Hendrickson, a commentator, says, every Christian needs to be disciplined so that he or she may prosper in the sphere where God's holy will is considered normative or normal for life. Yes, and training can be painful, frustrating, sometimes seemingly pointless, but we need to trust our master, the creator and sustainer of the universe. Do you trust God like that? 
Do you need some more training? And next word is righteousness. This word means just, holy, upright, virtuous, law-abiding. Righteousness speaks of moral uprightness or ethical, accept- ethically acceptable behaviour. It means good living that honours God and his law or his standard. Are you seeking to glorify God by how you live? Next word. Well, next words. Man of God. This could be translated as servant of God. It's an Old Testament expression that often refers to a person who represents God, a person who's like a prophet or a priest or a king, a person who speaks on behalf of God, a person who is godly, a person who is like God, which is what godly means, in their lifestyle, they are godly, their character is godly. Specifically, Paul is addressing, of course, Timothy here, but by application he's referring to every true believer. Donald Guthrie says this, the man of God, and we could put man or woman of God there, is before all the man of the Bible. Are you a man or a woman of the Bible? Do you believe it? Do you practice it? You and I represent God to those around about us. Are you a good representative, a good ambassador of God? That Paul refers to in one of his other letters. We are ambassadors. His righteousness, we represent God's righteousness to the people around about us. Our next word, next word is the word thoroughly. The word means complete, mature, adequate, not superficial but uncompromising. It means to be proficient. In my younger days when I was called up for a national service, um, they found out that I had a background of, I used to race push bikes, bicycle racing. And I liked to do the road racing, the long distance stuff, as well as track work. But also did a lot of swimming and did a lot of hunting and I enjoyed kayaking. So my supervisors in the army when I was called up for national service said that I should consider joining the SAS, the Special Air Service, which is like the commandos of the Second World War. And uh, sometimes they refer to the Americans as Navy SEALs. So I thought, oh, that could be interesting. I love kayaking. It'd be great to get paid to kayak around and go swimming. And my dad had been a part of one of those units when uh, he was in the, in the army as well. So I did some research and discovered how thoroughly they train their members actually shoot live bullets at you, throw knives at you. You wouldn't believe they take you right out in the middle of Western Australia in the desert with one water bottle, no overcoat, no anything, and you've got to find your way back over so many... Anyway, I decided, no, I don't think I want that kind of training. (coughs) That's what we call thorough training. Why are you trained thoroughly? Uh, Well, because you need to be prepared, thoroughly trained, in order to carry out your role. How are we thoroughly trained? Through the word of God. That makes us effective in serving in God's army. That kind of uh, thorough training can be hard, can be frustrating, can be painful. We idolise Olympians, don't we? And other athletes, like that lady that swam over the English Channel and then swam back again. Are you crazy? (laughs) Just going one way is enough. But you've got to do a lot of training to do that. I was talking to someone last night... um, there's a hiking trail in Tasmania that goes from Cradle Mountain to Lake St Clair. It's only about uh, 70, 80 kilometres, but it's uh, like this, most of it, up and down. This particular guy decided he would run through. So he ran from Cradle Mountain to Lake St Clair, turned round and ran straight back during the night with a head torch on. Unbelievable. 
That's what it means to have this kind of thorough training to be prepared. Athletes for the Olympic Games, they're training now for the next four years. Well, we are to be thoroughly trained as well. Our next word, why are we thoroughly trained? Well, to be equipped. So this is what we need to do. The SAS do extensive training so that they can be equipped to fight in every kind of situation. A tradesman is not only uh, a tradesman and doesn't doesn't just do the, the theory, he's also one who does the practical as well. The word equipped means to provide or supply whatever is needed for particular services or special tasks. It means to be fully qualified and capable. It means the person is enabled to meet all the demands of godly ministry and righteous living. That's why the Bible is useful, to train us thoroughly to equip us. The Bible, understood correctly, can completely equip the believer for special service in the kingdom of God. How's your training going? Are you fully equipped? Jim can tell you that to work, to work on the engine of a 747, you need to be not only understanding your uh, theory, but you also need to be expert at your practice and you probably also need a supervisor to make sure you're doing it right. And if you want to fly in a jet engine, you're very thankful that those people have been trained thoroughly and they can do their job. So a thorough understanding of scripture then equips us and qualifies us to make us useful in God's kingdom. John Stott says this, or said this, he's since passed away. Scripture is the chief means which God employs to bring the man of God or the woman of God to maturity. Are you regularly in the scriptures? Will you not grow, you will not grow in spiritual maturity unless you're in the scriptures. Some Christians only hear the word of God when they come to church. No wonder they are immature, weak believers. How mature are you? Our next word is every. It means all, each one, without exception. There is no service that does not require some degree of equipping or training. Are you exempting yourself from getting the training you need to be an effective man or woman of God? This is where I shall give an advertisement for the Safe Church training and the work health and safety courses. Nah, we'll move on, eh? Our last word is good work. Good deeds, it means, good actions or good service. Something that is good is wholesome, correct and right. Good actions that are helpful and kind. Good works are good actions and helpful serving of others. Are you known for your good works of service and kindness? We are not saved by doing good works, but if we are saved, we will do good works. See Titus 3.8, Ephesians 2.8 and 10. And there I say it, the book of James, chapter 2. Right. So let's paraphrase what we've looked at so far. These two verses have given us definitions that we can see how God's word is useful. The Bible is God's instruction given by him and is useful for us in many ways. It is useful in explaining to us the information we need. It is useful for reprimanding our wrong thinking. It is useful for correcting wrong actions and lifestyle. It is useful for making us holy and efficient in, Christian life, in the Christian life. It's useful for providing us with all we need to, mature, to be mature believers who does what God wants us to do. How does this apply to you? The Bible is given to you and to me by God. It is God speaking to you and me. God gives you and me the information we need in the Bible 
to enable you and me to correct any wrong thinking or wrong actions that we may have. God has given us the Bible to you and to me. He's given it in order to instruct us how to think, what to think and how to live. God has given the Bible to you and me so that we can grow in our Christian faith, become strong and mature and be efficient and obedient in God's kingdom, the service of God's kingdom. Are you growing in your faith and your service for God? Are you reading and studying your Bible? So let's look at our third point and our last point just briefly. Three Old Testament scriptures and then three New Testament scriptures. Joshua chapter 1 verses 7 and 8. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will, have, you will be prosperous and successful. And then Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11, we opened the service with this passage. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, more than much fine gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By then your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Psalm 119 verses 9 to 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. One final short quote. Warren Weasby says, We're not saved by believing the Bible, but by trusting the Christ who is revealed in the Bible. Do you believe what the Bible says about itself? Do you believe that the Bible is breathed out by God? That is that it is inerrant word. Let me lead you in prayer. We want to thank you and praise you, Heavenly Father, for giving us Bibles. They are precious gifts to us. We are grateful for those who faithfully wrote down initially what you wanted them to write and also for those who have translated those original documents into the many languages that are used throughout our world today.
We thank you and praise you for the many, many truths that are found in your word. We are thankful that you have spoken to us through your word and that your word is absolute truth. We thank you most of all for the truth about the Lord Jesus, for all that he has done for us so that we can be made right with you and have our many sins forgiven. Please forgive us for not spending enough quality time reading, studying and memorising your word. Please forgive us for the many times that we have ignored and disobeyed your word. We thank you for the many times that you have rebuked us for our bad habits, actions and attitudes. Please give us hearts and minds that can understand your word and put it into practice day by day. Help us, we pray, to respond to your correction and training so that we become more like our Lord Jesus. Please continue to equip us so that we can be useful servants that can encourage others to fully trust Jesus for eternal life. Please glorify your souls in each of us in spite of our sinfulness and rebellion. We come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.